This is DeRay Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode one, Trey eight. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What is going on, BTM tribe? Welcome to this week's installment of the Before the Millions podcast. On today's episode, guys, I'm excited and you could probably tell that I'm excited because I found an individual, and I don't often come across these individuals, but I found an individual who has a very similar blueprint to the type of life that I hope to live in the next decade. And it's been really, really fascinating just diving into uh, this individual's life. And I can't wait for you guys to get into the show again. Today's uh, episode is all about lifestyle design and really just creating the life that you ultimately want. Today's guest, Maurice Philogene, has been to over 95 countries And if you were able to tune into last week's episode, the episode where I talked to and talked about a few NFL players, I mentioned that Bob Sapp was a world-renowned traveler as well. And uh, these guys are just so inspirational to me. The fact that you can visit over, I think Bob Sapp is like at, at 150, and there's only 195 countries in the world. Well, anyways, today's guest has visited over 95 countries, and what he equates a visit to is spending at least two weeks in that place. So just imagine the amount of exposure he's been able to have over the past few decades. It's been simply amazing. And it's not like he's a senior citizen or anything, and he's just now doing this after retirement. Maurice, today's guest, is 45 years old. I don't even think he's 45 yet, right? And he has this whole life ahead of him. And he's been able to do this primarily because... He's always known what he what he's wanted. He created a lifestyle that allowed him to dictate where he was and how long he was there for. So instead of just having his corporate job, which he still has to this day, he started investing in real estate. He started buying businesses, owning restaurants to make sure that no matter what, people would not tell him where to be and how long to be there. It's a fascinating episode. And Maurice is a real deal entrepreneur. Like he's participated not only on the passive side of syndications, but he's also led his own syndication groups himself where he's buying large apartment buildings. He currently has a new restaurant opening early 2020. And he's scheduled to close on another three apartments as well. We're going to talk a whole lot about travel in this episode. He's actually scheduled to live in Bali for the next few weeks. And what's really cool about the photo that he sent me for us to use as his podcast artwork, uh, it was taken on an island called, and I, again, I'm going to butcher the name of the island because I've never heard of it, but it's an island um, off of the Baltic Sea, and it's just a ferry ride away from Helsinki. The island is called Suomen Lina. 
And it's a beautiful island. So if you're an iTunes listener or a Stitcher listener, you're often not seeing the episode artwork that is correlated with each episode. But if you visit the actual podcast directory for Before the Millions over at beforethemillions.com forward slash episodes, you get to see all the show notes and you get to see the podcast episode artwork. Now, one thing that came to mind during this interview is, Maurice, how do you do all of this? Right. And I've just scratched on a few things that he's been able to do and a few things that are coming up in his life. But Maurice has also been deployed before. He's on reserve right now in the U.S. Air Force. He is also an active street cop, a police officer. How are you doing all this, Maurice? It's crazy. We're going to dive into all that on today's episode. And we're going to show you exactly how to take the restrictions off of your life. You may have never thought it was possible to hold a full-time corporate job while being a police officer, while being an active member of the Air Force, while investing in apartments, while owning a restaurant, while traveling over 95 countries, but it is possible. And when I think about these things, my head just starts spinning. But what's crazy about Maurice's story is that he'll tell you that he has so much freedom and flexibility in his life. Oftentimes, his schedule, his calendar has little to nothing on it. And he's able to say no to a lot of things and really just enjoy his life. So we're going to speak to how to understand your life in days instead of years, which is mostly what we do. We're going to speak to how Maurice was able to acquire his first 10 rental properties in his first year as an investor and how he transitioned from single family homes to large apartment complexes. We're going to talk about why owning a restaurant is not about the money. And actually, he doesn't make a lot of money owning a restaurant, but it pays dividends in his social life. We're going to talk about how to raise your kids to appreciate lifestyle design. I remember when I was young, um, man, we, we had the worst of times and we had the best of times. I remember years where we would worry about getting evicted. Um, we would be fortunate enough to buy 10, 15, $20 shoes that lasted me a whole year. Um, I would get made fun of in class because I, I wore Payless shoes. If you guys remember Payless. Um, and then I remember the, the, I remember the very next year we would travel the world. My mom would scrape up everything, everything that she had to make sure that we had experiences. And that year I would get a few Jordans or Harachis or whatever was hot back then, right? It was just this constant roller coaster of being on the edge of just depleting everything to hey, business is going well again, I can actually afford to show my kids the rest of the world and expose them to something that most people aren't exposed to at this age. So we talk about how to raise your kids to appreciate lifestyle design. And I think that's one of my main drivers today is because of my childhood experiences. We also talk about Maurice's outlook on marriage, and it is a very different outlook. So make sure that you tune in for this episode because it is a jam-packed episode. We don't get into a whole lot of strategy, primarily because there was so much to dive into as far as Maurice and his lifestyle and kind of the things that he has going on right now. So I'm not going to make you wait any longer. We're going to jump straight into the tip of the week, and then we'll get straight into the interview with Maurice. DeRay's Tip of the Week. So maybe you have, maybe you haven't heard of the financial independence and retire early movement, which is called FIRE, F-I-R-E. And I've been a strong proponent of financial independence, retiring early, making sure that you have enough passive income coming in every single month that covers your expenses so that you can be location independent, so that you can live your ultimate lifestyle design. And the movement has blown up over the past three, four or five years. And um, again, I follow a few people who are strong proponents of this movement. I've actually had a few of the leaders of this movement on this podcast. 
And for those of you who haven't yet heard of this movement, it is a very similar track to what we teach here about lifestyle design. Although we do ours through real estate, it's a movement to where you're saving uh, anywhere from from 50 to 70, even more uh, percent of your income so that you can invest in vehicles that allow you to live your ultimate lifestyle design and retire at the age of 25 or 30 or even 35. Um, if this sounds crazy, if you've never heard of this concept, if you don't, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, no worries. Um, I just sent out if you're a part of the Before the Millions Facebook group or if you're on the Before the Millions newsletter, which I strongly suggest you should, you should be a part of, uh, because then you would have all these goodies free and exclusive in your email inbox or on your Facebook. Um, but hopefully you're listening to this episode as soon as it airs or shortly after it airs, because there's a documentary that came out not too long ago. And Ali Financial Bank is currently offering this documentary for free. You can go watch it on Vimeo. So again, I sent out that link to all of the Before the Millions members and tribe members, all of our Facebook group members, and also the newsletter, right? To make sure that everybody has access to this video while it's free. The password to get to the video is called FIRE. And that's in all caps. Actually, what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do this here and now for the people who listen to this episode as soon as it releases, I am going to create a link for you guys. But I strongly, strongly suggest in the future that you make sure you're a part of the newsletter or you're in, you're in the Before the Millions Facebook group so that when we get exclusive content like this, you're the first person to know about it. So the Before the Millions group is over at beforethemillions.com forward slash group. And uh, once you join the group, you're going to enter your email address to join the group, and then we'll automatically add you to the email newsletter so that you get all of my exclusive content, my perks, my discounts, everything. And you would have known about this video a while ago. But for you guys who are tuning into the audio podcast and you've tuned in on the day this comes out or the day after this comes out, I want you to go and watch that video. And it's a documentary about a couple who decided to totally uproot their lives and follow the financial independence retire early movement. And I want you guys to see what they've been able to make of their life in just one year. So I'll create a link now. Uh, let's see. That link is going to be before the millions.com forward slash fire F I R E. And that link is probably going to expire here in the next few days, because again, that free video access is going to expire as well. So uh, hopefully you enjoy the video. If you have any comments on the video, we're going to have a discussion about it in the Facebook group. And I'd love to see your thoughts and opinions on it. Again, that's over at before the millions.com forward slash fire. I have no affiliation with this group whatsoever, but I think that the message is very powerful and I hope that you can get a lot out of the documentary. All right, let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Guys, I am super excited for this episode because I found somebody who literally, and he, he has the same mindset I had, like, where are all these people who, who, who create this lifestyle? Like, I feel like I'm by myself. I feel like I'm on an island. No. Not many people have my vision. Not many people are, are doing the things that I want to do. I don't, all my life, I haven't had a whole bunch of people to look up to. And it hasn't been um, because I don't have a father figure in my life, just because I haven't been exposed to a whole lot of people. And yeah. as of late, 
again, I've been exposed to more and more people living the type of life that I've always wanted to live, that I'm living now. And you're a living testimony, testament of this. So first and foremost, I want to uh, welcome Maurice Philogene to the Before the Minutes podcast. Maurice, how's it going today? Oh, man, it's going well. And I'm super, super, super excited to be here, brother. Thank you so much. No problem at all. I am. I'm probably definitely more excited than you. Just just let me and I don't normally do intros here. But again, I just want to I just want to give the listeners a quick basis to work with before we jump into the time machine. So you guys kind of kind of know where we're going with this conversation. Maurice is a police officer. Maurice is uh, are you still active military? I just retired. I just, just retired. retired. Okay. Maurice has a corporate job, right? And you've had this job for what, over 20 something years now? 22 years corporate, 22 years in the Air Force as Lieutenant Colonel and Special Agent. Wow. Wow. And Maurice is a restaurant owner. And last but not least, of course, he's on the show because he's a real estate investor, right? And I don't know how Maurice is able to do all these things. And I'm sure you guys are curious as well. So we're going to dive into the time machine and figure out how Maurice is able to balance all, all of these things that he does and then get this. Maurice has visited over 95 countries, 95 <laughs> countries. That is, if there's any goal that I have, it is that. And um, I will surely hit that goal uh, here in the next decade. But I want to figure out how Maurice is able to do all these things. So before we get into how you built up your success, let's, let's take it back to the time machine. Walk me through the first time that you ever thought about real estate investing as a possible career path for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And thanks for the intro. And I, and I do want to touch on all those things because everything is possible. It, it's all incumbent upon us to say yes to more stuff and uh, more stuff for ourselves and, and no to less. Um, first time I thought about real estate uh, was when I was buying my first place to live. I was 22, 22, 23 years old and I bought my first condo in Alexandria, Virginia. It was just a It was just a place to live as opposed to um, a place to rent. And it just so happened to be at the beginning, there was a real estate boom in the 2000s. It just so happened to be at the beginning of that boom. So some of it was uh, very lucky from a time perspective. So that was in 2002 that I bought my first place. And I've said this before, but um, I bought the place. Three months later, the same floor plan and the next building over sold for $30,000 more because the market was starting to go crazy figured out that I had made 30 grand in equity after talking to my father and him explaining to me, a 22, 23-year-old immigrant kid, what equity was because I had no idea. And then I did what we used to do back then, which was go to the library. I read eight or nine books back to back in one day, never even left the library because I was stunned, just flat out floored how I could make 30 grand in a transaction so I read all these books and then within a year I had bought 10 more. So that was the first time I was exposed to real estate in any way, just because I bought my own place. Wow. Wow. Wet behind the ears, no money, no experience. No. And, and you, 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 you happen to be, and I don't think it's happenstance, but you happen to be in the right place in the right time. Yeah. And some people can be in that position. They can see that growth. A lot of people are in that position. I know a ton of, ton of people in Dallas who are experiencing the growth, a ton of people in Austin who are experiencing the growth, but at the same time, it doesn't click for them the way it clicked for you. No. And Why you do you think it clicked for you in such a, in such a different way? Mindset. Uh, I, I do remember in my early 20s having a mindset of I wanted life to be different. Um, and part of, it, part of it had to do with the fact that when I was 15, I, my parents, when I was 14, my parents had an exchange student stay with me at the house. So I'm, an, I'm from an immigrant family. I'm Haitian. 
my father and mother are very, like all foreign parents for the most part, like education, education, right? But they wanted me, me to be exposed to different cultures, especially French-speaking cultures, to keep my language. So I speak four languages. French is one of them. We had an exchange student come over to crib. I had a banging time. His name is Matthew. I had a banging time with Matthew. The next summer, my parents scraped up enough cash to send me to Paris when I was 15. Three days into that trip, Matthew's father, uh, Francois, um, put me and Matthew in his 1983 stick shift Range Rover and drove us around France for 30 days. And you got to think, inner city kid, uh, minority black kid, never been exposed to anything having to do with culture outside of the Haitian culture itself. Man, I was floored. I went to Haitian, excuse me, French funerals, French castles, met French girls, uh, balled out with uh, French guys playing basketball, wine, drinking, smoking, like anything that you can imagine. And for some reason, I kept a journal during that trip when I was 15 years old. And you, I still have that journal. And you see my notes of life should be different. How come I don't feel like this when I'm in the United States? Uh, how come nobody ever told me that I can be in control of my own destiny? Because a lot of people over there were talking to me about it. So I had always had that mindset. And then when I graduated from college and then had a little bit of cash, got that house. I remember reading Personal Finance for Dummies. That got me motivated on a financial level. And I don't know. I just knew life was going to be different. So when that opportunity came up where I made 30 grand, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to press repeat as many times as possible. And that's what I did. Wow. My, my, my background, my story comes from discontentment. Right. I was working at a big four accounting firm and I was working about 70 hours a week. And to a lot of people, this is the ultimate life. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. They told me, hey, go be a partner, go make half a million dollars a year and you're set. Right. You know, give me give me give me about 12 years to get there. And, and you're set and you're living the ultimate life. Two years in, Maurice, I was so discontent. Imagine, you know, you have an Amex card. You're able to swipe breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're able to stay at four-star hotels. You're able to travel. But for me, it was so restrictive. When I got my first check as a big four accountant, I hadn't had a real job before then. Like, all I had done in college was a lot of just growing. I would be on boards, and I would do a lot of different things. I would volunteer. I would lead organizations. And I would just find ways to, to, to be a better person, right, to give back to the community. Yeah. Once I got to uh, corporate America, I realized, like, hey, my first check, I was, I, I was floored. I was just like, they took, they, they took half my money, mom. What's going on? Yeah. That, like half of my check literally went to the government. Why, why is that? And, yeah. then, and then I was, I realized like through that process, half my check is going to the government. That means from January to June, I'm literally working for Uncle Sam. Yeah. Just graduated from college. I have student loans, which most people do. Um, yeah. You got bills, you got credit card bills, you got, you got rent, you got, you got all these things and they all go to the bank. You got your car note, right? They all go to the bank. So the second half of the year, I was working for the bank. Yep. Yeah. All throughout that year, Maurice, I was focused on making a, co- a company prosperous and I wasn't really seeing any fulfillment. Yeah. You were building somebody else's business. And I was just like, so what do I, I don't, I don't have any money at the end of the year, nor am I getting any fulfillment. What am I doing here? That's right. You know? Right. So I started looking for other options. I started looking for alternatives. I started looking for answers. That's when yeah. I stumbled upon real estate. So mine came from discontentment and it seems as though yours came from exposure. No. Uh, mine came from exposure, but I will give 30% to the, to the discontentment aspect as well, because just like you, I started in corporate America. Uh, 
I had my first son when I was 24 years old, 24, 25, with my college sweetheart at the time. He's now 19 years old. He's, um, I remember vividly being at a client site, a federal government agency, my son's mom dropping him off because she had to go to work or something, I can't recall. It was 4 p.m. and at 4 p.m., there I was with my one-year-old son in a baby carrier, sitting in a cubicle in a federal government building. And my supervisor at the time, uh, a young lady who will remain nameless, but came over to me and said, I need all this work done. And I said, well, that's, that's five hours of work. She's like, yeah, I know, but I need, it. I need you to get this done today. My son was on the ground in a baby, baby carrier. Someone came over to me and said, I realize it's four o'clock. Here's five hours of work. You're going to have to get this done. The, the amount of, now I grew up in inner city and then suburban Boston, okay? So the amount of restraint I had to have in that moment not to chop on that lady was, was vicious. But I had even more, more um, motivation to figure out kind of the way out of the matrix. You know what I mean? I, I was very aware in my early to mid-20s of being in the matrix and I knew one way or the other I was gonna get out. Um, so some of it came from exposure for sure. I think probably a majority came from exposure and then the rest of it came from experiences in corporate America where I was like, this is not how I'm gonna live for the rest of my life. These titles don't mean shit to me, to be honest. And to, to be honest, they still don't. Yeah. Are yeah. You, is that the firm you're still working for to this day? I still work for them to this day. Well, I wanna get into that. <laughs> I wanna get into <laughs> Well, but here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. Your impression of where you work is going to be based on the people around you at any given time. That young lady who made that decision back in, I don't know, 2004, 2005, whatever it was, I think she was just doing whatever she thought her job was at the time. What I have pushed on nowadays is judge me on the outcome of what I do. Don't necessarily judge me on how much time you see me in an office or what days of the week that I work or anything like that. The person that I happen to work for at that firm, she is just flipping amazing. She knows how to draw outcomes out of me such that I serve my clients really well. That is why I stay there. Not because I have to, but because I'm doing real good things for really, really good people. So I don't want to say that everything is wrong with corporate America. That's not the case at all. I've just found a way to position myself where I'm working in a manner that makes sense for my life. I love that. I love that so much because oftentimes you're right. Oftentimes we do, especially I know I'm, I'm good for it. I will, you know, take this stance against corporate America, take this stance against the system, take yeah. it, you know, but, but you found a way to kind of, kind of bend the system to your will. And, and again, 95 countries. And what do you, what do you consider? What do you consider you having visited the country? Like, how do you set that? How do you set um, that? Yeah, so thank you for saying that because it's very easy to visit that many countries. You can you can do a layover in Qatar and say I was in Qatar, but I don't do that. So that number of ninety five countries, um, and that you know, and that's over two hundred and twenty times now. I think I don't know. I've kind of lost count. Um, <laughs> that is, I have worked, lived, or spent meaningful time in that country at least two weeks or more. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Wow. That's kind of my, my definition for it. But many of those places I go back frequently. Like this year alone, I think I've been to Finland five times already. Wow. Yeah. I'm so impressed, Maury. So, so, so that, it's, it's safe to say that you work 100% remote. No, I do not work 100% remote. Um, 
I work where I need to be when I need to be. I do have clients that I'm responsible to. Gotcha. When I need to be with them, I'm there. Matter of fact, most of my clients are federal government clients, so I cannot work while I'm outside the country. What I do is I purposefully plan my schedule such that I spend a lot of time out of the country. So for example, I worked this whole weekend because I knew that tomorrow I'm getting on a plane to go out of the country, right? Um, so I won't be working Thursday. Well, I'll be working Thursday, but Friday and early Monday, I won't be working, but I've accomplished everything that I need to accomplish. Uh, I've touched base with my clients, the people who work for me, they know a couple things that need to get done. But I purposefully spent time this weekend getting outcomes accomplished such that I can get on a plane and go back to Beirut where I was a couple weeks ago and follow up on a particular business opportunity. And people will say, man, you went to Finland five times in the last year. Why would you do that? Or you went to, I don't know where I've been this year, Finland, France, England, uh, Turkey, Lebanon. I can't even remember. But here's, here's the thing. Uh, when I went to Lebanon a couple of weeks ago, uh, I went with a particular group, but there was, there was a, a purpose for it. But I planned that out, and I'm a huge travel hacker. So I funnel all my business expenses and personal expenses through one or two credit cards. I get miles. I can probably generate a business class ticket every five or six weeks or so. Um, that ticket cost me 600 bucks. The one I just bought to go again, that was $500. You just have to know how to manage these things. I want a separate, I want a separate podcast interview on just travel hacking, man. That's impressive. <laughs> it, 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 it works. And, you know, even things like uh, when I went to Helsinki this year to a friend's, you know, I stopped by a friend's birthday party. I left on a Thursday night. I came back on a Monday afternoon. It's just not a big deal. But people feel like it's a big deal because you're getting on a plane. But in reality, if I would have went downtown D.C. and hung out at the bars, maybe I spent three or $400 out with the fellas or whatever. But I probably spent three, $400 for that weekend. And then a, a friend picked me up at the airport and we balled out and had a blast. And one of my boys came with me. And um, But yeah, that's my definition of you know being in another country is at least two weeks of meaningful time doing something that's normal. And one more thing. I, when I go to countries, I don't go as a tourist. There is no tourist for me. When I'm going, I'm just living my life. And I, I push back on people when they say, hey, you're going on vacation again. It is not vacation to me. There is no vacation with me. All there is, unless I'm taking my family, and that's a different, that's a different aspect. But the only thing to me is experiencing life, experiencing other people, connecting in meaningful ways, getting exposed to culture, eating different foods, learning about some ethnic or ethnicity that you knew nothing about, like the Swami people in Northern Finland. That's, that's why I go do those things, not to quote unquote go on vacation, but to go experience life because we only have one. I love it. I love it. And I, I am in 100% agreement with you. I hate the term vacation. I hate when people tell me I'm going on vacation. You know, Seth Golden had a quote and I just pulled it up. I love this quote, by the way. Yeah. He was, um, he was, he was out of the country and there was a guy who was on vacation as well out of the country. And he saw Seth at like, you know, a pool bar and he had his laptop out and he was working. And the guy walked up to Seth, Seth Golden, and he said, it's a real shame that you feel as though you have to work on vacation. And then Seth <laughs> responded, it's a real shame that you have a life you feel like you need to escape from. Yep. And I thought that was so powerful. I don't go on vacations. I, you know, going back to lifestyle design, I, I wanted to, when I, when I had a corporate job, create a life where whether I, whether or not I love what I do. So whether or not I'm, I'm in Houston, I'm in New York, I'm in wherever, 
right? I can have my laptop and I can do what I love and it's not really vacation. I can go anywhere in the world and I can always do what I love no matter where I'm at. And I love that mindset because again, it's all about lifestyle design. Now we've just touched on one tiny aspect of your life, which is this, this, this uh, which is with your corporate job. I mean, there's so many other things that you've done, right? Um, when did, when did you decide to, uh, to join the military? But yeah. So I have always been corporate. Uh, when I, so I went to university of Virginia, graduated in 97. When I graduated that the, my corporate firm recruited me and I'm still there to this day. So that's 22 years. Uh, I was an ROTC as a means to pay for college, first Navy, but then I switched to Air Force because they gave me 100% as an engineer, as an engineering major. So I was always a military officer um, for 22 years, and I just just retired um, as a lieutenant colonel, uh, for, for, forcibly in a way. I, I didn't really want to retire, but just from a family and time perspective, it kind of um, made sense. Um, and then in the military, I've always been involved in law enforcement one way or the other. So if you know, the easiest way to explain it, you know the TV show NCIS? I do. Yeah, so every military organization has its version of the FBI, if you will. And in the Air Force, it's called OSI, Office of Special Investigations. I was a military police commander for four years, and OSI recruited me, and, and I've been with them as a federal agent ever since. So I've always been tied to law enforcement. So back in, after I deployed for, after 9-11, I did some local work in the state of Maryland and in the DC area with some local cops here. And the way that they were impacting the local community, in, a, in the right way, because I know it's somewhat controversial nowadays, but the way that they were positively impacting people's lives, I loved it. And to have that authority to do unique things to help people live their lives on a day-to-day -day basis. So I... Um, took a pause on the corporate stuff in 2008, became a police officer, and then I've been doing that ever since as well. So I've kind of had these parallel tracks that have one, or, one way or another been running um, concurrently, and then with the help of family, I've been able to manage the whole thing the entire time. And it goes back to what you said at the beginning, dude, never about money. You obviously don't go be a police officer because you're trying to make millions of dollars, right? Like I legit was trying to find ways to uniquely impact people's lives internationally, right? I go overseas. I volunteered at refugee camps um, for months at a time. I've deployed overseas with the U.S. military, which is essentially you're being an ambassador of the United States and helping out in, other, in unique ways. But then I wanted to do the exact same thing in my local community. So I became a local police officer and have done so many things behind the scenes that I will never tell people or like throw off there that this is something that I did. But I, I will tell you that I've had the privilege of saving people's lives, carrying women down seven flights of stairs in an apartment building because the apartment building was on fire, running into someone's house because there was a burglar in their house and catching a burglar, um, been, in, been in some shootings. And I loved and still love every single aspect of it because I, I have had the unique opportunity of helping people and uh, I could never, ever um, have done it any different. I'm glad I, I did it all. Wow, you don't, Morris, you don't come off as selfish whatsoever. And I can tell it's not about the money. So, you know, and this may be an abstract question, but hopefully yeah. you can answer it. What, what drives you? What is your North Star? Like what, I mean, I'm trying to get a grasp on, you know, most people you can immediately tell what they're after. Like, okay, like this guy's after money, he's after fame, he's after popularity, but what is your North Star? 
I don't know if I have a North Star. I, I really, I, I really don't. I, I know after, oh, you know, when I was 33, 32, 33 years old, this might give you a perspective. I flew down to Costa Rica to a retirement conference. I was the youngest person at this conference by 15 years, at least. I ran into a guy named Gil. Gil and I still talk to this day. He asked me what I was doing there, and I told him I was trying to figure out what this retirement thing is that everyone is going after. After spending time with him, I asked him, how did he get to Costa Rica, and why did he get there? And he explained to me that he wanted to live his life his own way. So he, you know, we, we broke a 12-pack together and broke bread and, like, hung out. And he gives me this piece of paper, which is on my wall over there, but it's, a, it's essentially your life in days. So it says, if me and you are going to live to 79 and everything else is gravy, okay, let's just assume we get to 79. That means that you and I have 28,000 days to live. That means at age 44, I have 12,900 and change left. This thing that we do where we think life is this very long thing is because a year from a time perspective is very abstract. You don't know how long it is. But when you understand your life and days, then you will push for the things that you want, the experiences that you want, the legacy that you want, to take care of your kids, to be unapologetic about the way you live. Because I'm very aware of how much time I have left. And, you know, and the other thing is, I'm not waiting till I'm 65, 70 to do the things that I want. I'm doing them right, right now, or I'm relatively good looking. I got strength behind me. I have some money in my pocket. I have family that loves me. Why in the hell am I going to wait to 65? So it's not that I'm trying to get to some North Star because it, it's not there. there. There is no end to all this stuff that we're doing. It's just a journey. I have no idea where it's going to go, but I do know the one thing that I care about is connecting with people. Like, I love talking to you, man. I, this, this whole thing about lifestyle design, I thought I was totally by myself in, in figuring this stuff out. So um, I, I've never had some North Star. I just always know, and maybe this is it a little bit, I always knew that I wanted to be in control of my own time and my own destiny. And I am. Once I replaced my salary with passive income, then no one could ever technically tell me what to do. Uh, you know, outside of the government being in the military, right? No one could ever technically tell me what to do. And once, you know, I got a hold of that power, per se, then everything else just started to fall in line. Yeah. Speaking of passive income, 10 rental properties in one year. That yeah. is insane, right? Yeah. And I start to think about the goal for real estate at the time. And, you know, where, where, does, where does the restaurant, you know, fall in place? Like, like walk me through your journey of real estate investing and then the idea or the conception of you wanting to own a restaurant. Yeah, so that was an interesting one. So I started my real estate, my business journey started with real estate. One of my fraternity brothers, I'm, I'm an uh, you know, Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. One of my fraternity brothers was my real estate agent at the time. One of his boys, who's also my fraternity brother, was in real estate, but he was very much a social guy and had been investing in restaurants in D.C., and he asked me about investing. I said, well, I don't really invest in anything unless it spits off passive income. And it does spit off passive income. You, you do make a, a return. But what he explained to me was something that was super powerful. He said, Maurice, if you're going to get into the restaurant business, it's not necessarily for the returns. I said, well, why the hell am I doing it? He said, because it's a social investment. Mm. I didn't really understand that at the time. But what he was talking about was the fact that anytime I go into that establishment, I get recognized as the owner. 
If I want to bring you as a new business colleague to that restaurant, that automatically gives me credibility in a space, oh, I love this. <laughs> right? That you don't necessarily understand, right? Okay, so I have brought guys and gals who are worth 10 million, 50 million. I know one guy who's worth 85 million. I brought him into one of the restaurants that I'm a part owner. And just from that alone, we've struck up an amazing relationship and he's invested in a couple of the syndication deals that I've done, right? So I, I got into the space because I was listening to my fraternity brother and actually one of my mentors in a way. He said, it's just a really good idea. I'm so glad I did it. I don't make a ton of money off of those things because I, I invest passively, but what I have made from a social connection and from a business connection by far outweighs any of the lack of returns that I would have got if I did something else with that money. I love that so much. That is uh, that is keen insight. And um, I have to go back and listen to this episode already a few times just to just to pull out some nuggets. It's been amazing. <laughs> yeah. about, you know, going back to exposure, Maurice, I, I think about the fact that before the age of two, I had I had visited four countries. And yeah. you know, I started to even as a young child growing up, every single year you know, uh, being the son of an entrepreneurial mom, we would have lots of ups. We would have so many downs. Yeah. And I would go from school to school to school. So every single year I was going to a different school. Every single yeah. year I was making friends with new people. Every single year, um, every other year, we would have a good year. Every other year we'd have a down year. During those good years, we would go travel. We would go to Italy. We'd go to France. We'd have a ton of fun. And knowing those bad years, like they were really, really bad. So yes. again, if you just think about my upbringing, it was so natural for me. Finally, when I get to a place where I can provide for myself, I can be on my own. It was so natural for me to be like, hey, like, why am I being so restricted? Like, I haven't been restricted all my life. Like, we've had so many different things going on. I'm so used to meeting new people. I'm so used to going to different countries. Why now that I'm in corporate America, now life stops? I thought this is when life started. <laughs> so, so I think about your 19-year-old and even uh, your, your, your six-year-old, right? Yeah. And I think about your six, and I'm just like, you're already exposing them to, you know, and I think when we, we, we just touched on it, I think I, I just had that epiphany moment to where exposure plus discontentment equals oh. us going to this path of lifestyle design. Right? And it's, it's powerful, and it's powerful. And um, yet they have been exposed. I think my 19-year-old, my um, 11 or 12 countries now, my six-year-old, five or six, I can't totally remember the exact number. And he's, he's half Canadian, right? So it means by nature, he's going to be an international person anyway. Um, I want them, I, I need them to be that way. I, I need them to understand that they can define what life is going to be for them, right? I need them to understand that the reason that dad tends to take off a lot is because he is defining and doing life the way he wants because and this is going to sound harsh, but I don't mean it to be harsh, okay? I, I did not have kids such that uh, I am now not going to experience certain things in life. That's, that's not the way that it is. And I don't want, I don't want, I don't want Noah's, Noah's uh, mom to feel that way or anything like that. I want her to do everything that she can possibly do in her life as well. So from that perspective, whenever she needs to go do something, I'm going to stop everything that I'm doing so she can go do it. That's the point. We have this one unique life. So what really bugs me was, and I saw a video on Facebook one time, it's this pipeline we put our kids through. We first, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, excited, second grade, third grade, excited, fourth grade, fifth grade, 
Now we go to junior high. Now we go to high school. Now, oh man, now we got to go to college. Now we got to get that job. As soon as we get that job, now we got to strive for the title. We got to get that title. Then we got to meet the one. Aren't you going to get married? Because that's what society is telling you to do. Now we get married. Now we have the two and a half kids, white picket fence and a dog and we're in debt and we're working for the rest of our lives trying to do a 401k. That is not, don't get me wrong. There is nothing, I, I, family is everything. But what I'm talking about is the societal path that was set up for us. And we were told, hey, always compete with your peer, always do these things, and that's how you're going to have a successful life. I'm sorry to be blunt, but bullshit. It's, it's a bunch of crap. It really is. There are so many entrepreneurial people out there living life a certain way. I have a buddy who bought three condos, paid them off. He makes four grand a year, lives in Thailand, and is a bartender because those properties bring him four grand a year. Meanwhile, there are CEOs of companies who make $10 million talking about one day I'm going to be a bartender in Thailand. Like it's just, you have to think outside the box of what everybody is telling you to do and surround yourself with people who are willing to support that. And if you are around a circle of people saying no, that's only because they're afraid to do it themselves. You know what I mean? Um, so I want everyone around me, every loved one, everybody who lives in my house or everyone that I grew up with to, to be able to make those decisions on their own and not necessarily just do what society has always told us to do. I love that so much. And my audience knows that I bring up examples like that all the time where, you know, I'll be working with a client who's making six figures or close to seven figures and they're miserable and they're taking home nothing. Yeah. And then again, just flipping the switch, knowing that it's not about how much you make, it's about how much you keep and how you make that money. Just knowing that, hey, I can create revenue streams where I can actually go overseas. I can geo arbitrage. I can, I can right. literally literally live a life like a king if I just start thinking in a little bit of a different capacity. And I know we're, we're, we're going totally off script here and I, I don't, I love it. Um, but I want to touch on marriage because I think I heard you talk about marriage previously and I want to yeah. kind of touch on your outlook on marriage because I'm a single man and I, I'm, I'm, this is a personal question for me. So every, every listener out there, Hey, I'm, I'm getting personal advice from Maurice right now. What is your outlook on marriage? Listen, my mother and father are first boyfriend and girlfriend. They, they've been together since he was 17 or 18 and she was 14. Matter of fact, my father uh, left Haiti and chased my mother to the United States, grabbed onto her and never let go. So I have the mindset of there, for men, there is one woman out there that could potentially complete who they are as a person. When you hear me talk about, and I'm going to talk about on this podcast too, if you hear me talk about the marriage thing, I am not talking about being in a couple. I think being in a couple and finding someone who is the yin to your yang is everything. We, we all need that. And to suggest that I am strong and I can uh, deal with everything by myself is ludicrous. I need a partner to do that. Where I get pissed off, though, is the notion that to be married, you have to have a governmental certificate that says, okay, the government now allows you to be married and because you guys have signed this piece of paper, you are official. That has nothing to do with love. That has nothing to do with supporting each other. That has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Matter of fact, it perpetuates what society is saying that we are supposed to do. The whole marriage certificate thing came back, back in the 20s or 30s when women were considered property, right? The marriage certificate thing. So, um, I, 
if you are going to be with someone, you're going to be with someone because you love that person and you want to spend the rest of your life or a certain period of time with that person. I love that. What I don't like is people who, you know, people who start jumping into this thing called marriage because it's the, they think that it's the next thing to do. And then we see what's happening, right? People are getting divorced left and right because they didn't even know who they were as a person yet. They, they haven't even grown or maybe they're growing in a different direction from their partner. Um, so I have, I, I do have specific views on it, but I have views on it from the governmental sense, not from being with the person you're intended to be with. It's very different. I think that's very interesting. And I, I've always kind of had these thoughts about what marriage is and the institution of marriage and kind of the whole conundrum of, of, of if I should get married and how I should get married and don't have a solid opinion, but I yeah. think you're giving me a lot more clarity on that. So I appreciate yeah. it. It'll, it'll, it'll evolve. And my, and my, my thought on it is evolving as well. I, I am not interested in being, I'm not interested in, in living my entire life as, as a single person. That, that will never happen. I will always stay in a couple. I will always be that type of person because I like to, be a part of a larger unit than myself to include a family unit. You know what I mean? Um, But anyways, that might be a topic for another podcast, but I was just talking (laughs) about kind of like that, that governmental bond that seems to pop up right when we're in the fifth year of our our career, right out of college or something. It seems that everyone goes that way because they're told that that's the thing that they're supposed to do. And uh, that's just, that's not me. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm going to steal these next two questions from Tim, Tim Ferriss. Yeah. What is one of your best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? This can be an investment in energy, in yeah. time, or in yeah. money. I'll, I will go right back at you and steal something that I learned from Tim Ferriss that I applied to my own life, which is um, I have set up systems such that whenever me and the family want to pick up and leave, or, or I leave, like I've deployed um, on occasion, or I've gone and volunteered overseas, my businesses can run themselves without me getting involved with them probably for four or five weeks before I have to log on and look at something. So one of the best investments was Earth Class Mail or any mail, any virtual mail system, because I don't receive mail anywhere. Um, all the mail comes into a P.O. box. It, it gets scanned. Even if there's a check in there, it gets scanned. When I have the time, I'll look at it. If it's a physical piece of mail that I need to receive, I can have it forwarded to me. Uh, if it's a piece of junk mail that I don't even need, I just have it shredded. I think that is the, that's the lifestyle design thing you and I were talking about a little bit, right? There are two things that can, there are two physical things, not family. Family is a whole different ballgame, but there are two physical things that can hold you down in one place. One is your physical mail, right? And the second is your physical home. That's why I am not a proponent of actually owning your home. I'm a proponent of owning investment property and renting your home uh, because it takes a long time to pick up and go, to be honest. Um, but that was the be- one of the best investments I ever made was uh, using tools like Earth Class Mail or anything that virtualizes your business. 
I love that. I love that. And I remember when I uh, when I bought my second investment property, it was a fourplex, and it was, th- it was this was what allowed me to be location independent because I was collecting rent from all the other units that over and exceeded my expenses, and I no longer had to worry about paying rent or paying a mortgage where I'm living and also where I'm traveling to. And I, I think I used that service or a similar service at that time, that mail service. So I definitely approve of that. Um, last but not least, before yeah. we get to the last and final round, yeah, in the last five years. What new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? New belief, behavior, or habit has most improved. Ah, that's an easy one. Leveraging other people. And <clears throat> the whole journey, man, has been, I, I, I did the real estate slash business journey in my 20s on my own. So I, I say a lot on different interviews or when talking to people, I gave up my 20s because I did. I was changing toilets and painting and all that type of stuff. And uh, I think my properties were at the farthest 300 miles away from each other. So I was always driving back and forth while everybody was out partying and stuff. Now that I'm into multifamily and buying apartment buildings, now I have found, like I made a bunch of phone calls today. I put in two LOIs one on an apartment complex in Michigan and one on an apartment complex in Ohio just today. And the reason I was able to do it is because I have great circles of business associates and friends who are very good at one. So for example, the complex in Michigan, this guy named Tony, he is awesome at repositioning properties to be able to raise rents, to be able to rent them out so you can pull out cash on a cash refi later. Right? So I call Tony on that deal. Then the other property, I call my buddy Dan, and I said, Dan, I think we're going to need a couple of investors to do this. He's like, yeah, let me look at it. So it's like two, two, two totally separate groups, but they have different skill sets, right? But here's the thing. I could have done it all by myself and kept 100% of the proceeds or whatever, or you find people whose skill sets are so powerful, I would much rather give them, or not give them, I would much rather them bring value to the team and they earn the percentage of the deal that they're supposed to earn we all work as a team. We high five. We make the deal work. We walk away and everybody owns a certain percentage of, a, of an asset such that it builds legacy for themselves or their family. Leverage people. Leverage their skills. Be part of something bigger than yourself and you're going to do way more in life. I love that. There's a quote. I don't know who, whose quote it is, but they, it, it goes like this. If you want to go fast, do it by yourself. If you want to go far, do it with people, others around people. you. I, I totally, totally resonate with that. Yeah. And uh, since we didn't get any stra- into any strategy today, let's let's ask one last question before we get sure. to the final round. Um, in the last five years as well, what have you, because this is all about lifestyle design, okay. you become better at saying no to as far as distractions and invitations? Everything. No is my favorite word. So I think that's what people, I think the the people we listen to on podcasts, the people we kind of look up to and things of that nature, you notice that they are not usually out. They are not spending time on, if it doesn't bring value to my life, bring value to my family's life, bring value to my kids or bring value to my business, I'm not doing it at all because we only have so much time in life. So for example, I was asked to be on a board of a new nonprofit that form. I, I can't do that. I don't have time for that. Or my boy asked me, hey, before you get on a plane this week, can you swing by my house? And it's like, no, I can't do that. Or, uh, hey, corporately, we need you to go to this networking event. Nope, I'm not going to that networking event. I don't have time. If it doesn't bring the value that I need it to bring, or I'm not adding value to someone's life in a meaningful way, 
I just say no. It, and, you know, the funny thing is, if you go back to everything you were talking about from the, the big four firm, whatever, wherever you were working back in the day, you remember when we just like naturally did everything? We went to every networking event, every party, any training class, any this, any that. I'm not saying we didn't need certain of those things when we were in our 20s and we were starting to develop, but we were just so scattered, right? And there's that book called The One Thing by Robert Gary Keller, Gary Keller, Gary Keller where you focus on one thing. I read that book and it like, it clicked to me. Spend time on the things that bring you value. Say absolutely no to the things that don't bring you any value whatsoever. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? My favorite Before the Millions book, I'll actually put two out there. One is called Vagabonding by Ralph Potts. Okay. Um, Look, if you want to be out and about in the world, I absolutely recommend Vagabonding by Ralph Potts. I'll just leave it there. The other one is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, Viktor was a Holocaust survivor and he penned something called Logotherapy, which helped me figure out my why for life, not necessarily for investing, but my why for life. Uh, I probably reread Man's Search for Meaning probably once every four or five months. I love that. I love that. I read both of those books earlier this year and they are both phenomenal. Phenomenal books. Yeah. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Favorite lifestyle design app. I, you know, I'd probably have to say a banking app. Like most of my business uh, runs through one financial institution. So no matter where I am at any given time, at any given point, I can see net worth, balance sheet, what's in my bank accounts, what transactions, who's accessed them. Um, So if you can, and this is what I'm saying, find ways to virtualize your business. I could probably open a brick and mortar office, have an assistant do A, B, and C. And I do have some virtual assistants that do certain things. But my goal is not to make the most amount of money. My goal is to be virtual, to be mobile, to take care of my family. So any app or tool that supports that is a good thing for me. But in, in, in answer to your question, a particular bank where I do all of my uh, businesses through, I can see everything in one app. I love that. I'll ask a secondary question for this before we get to the next one, because I'm really yeah. curious as to how you handle your calendar. Are you just using Google calendars and you're just kind of putting things in there as you, as you, as you please? How do, how do you handle your schedule? Yeah. So I have multiple calendars because obviously there's the corporate one and then there's the law enforcement one and there's the business one. They tend, they, they can merge. It's hard to get them to all merge. But the funny thing is if you look at all my calendars they are actually pretty wide open because I say no to so many things. There's not, there's not a lot of stuff on my calendars that take up a, a majority of my time. Um, so I don't, I, I am not struggling for time. It may feel like I'm struggling for time, but I'm not because I say no to, to a lot. Truly inspirational, Maurice. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Uh, what do I enjoy most? I, I would probably say the tr- it's not the travel aspect. It's the ability to be exposed to different cultures Look here, I, I got it, okay? Here, here's the thing that really gets me. Um, when you travel, you get exposed to different cultures, right? You remember when you and I were in first grade and second grade or even ninth grade or high school or college, it was all new. It was constant learning. You knew nothing because you were so green, right? When we go to a new place because it's a different language, a different culture, a different taxi system, different banking system, different everything, 
my brain is on fire. Like when I landed in Lebanon two weeks ago, I didn't realize that Lebanon was a French colony. I speak French, so I could operate a little bit more. Then I'm learning about the discontent of people over there with the government. So I got eager about it. So I picked a book, read, talked to people. What? That's going on. So it, it makes you, it puts you in a position where you're back to constant learning as opposed to the whole matrix thing that we do sometimes where we just get up, go to work, come home, kiss the wife, kiss the kids, do the homework, eat dinner, have a meal of light, go to sleep, press repeat for five days. That is one of the most nauseous things that pops up in my mind. Um, but from a lifestyle perspective, being able to get exposed to different people, different cultures, puts you back into the constant learning mode. And for me, that is the epitome and the essence of life. One more, one more, one more uh, diverging, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The, is the Haitian language, what is it called? Creole. It's called Creole? Yeah. How similar or different is that from French? Oh, it's, ve- uh, it's very similar. Um, so I, I grew up speaking both French and Creole. Um, you, you can, if you're in Haiti, you can get by with both. Certain words in Creole, like if I'm in France or something, people will understand them, but there is a divergence at some point, but it's like a dirty French in a way. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Um, what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Time, man. Well, listen, I mean, I, I expressed all those career things that I've been doing. I gave up a lot of time. Um, my kids, uh, my kids and the family like supported me in such a way that when I got deployed overseas, like I ran a field office for my agency in Turkey and then I ran a joint task force in East Africa. Well, they suffered because I wasn't home, right? That was a lot of sacrifice. I, I think I had a lot of sacrifice from a time perspective and then not being able to connect with my friends in a meaningful way because I was always hustling and doing this and that. So I definitely gave up a lot. And that's what I was telling you about, like, shit, man, I, I felt like I was by myself all the time because people were doing the standard thing and I, and I wasn't until I found people who were doing certain, some of the things that I was doing. But I'll take an even further step and say, man, I ain't really sacrificed because I was always going to go down this route anyway. So I, I really don't care. What I care about is the fact that my family sacrificed, um, my little one sacrificed, my oldest sacrificed, mom sacrificed, her family sacrificed because they always taking care of Noah for me. Um, it imp- everything that we do impacts our family. And because I was running around the world so much, especially on the military front, but just from who I am as a person, they sacrifice and put up with my, my shit. Um, but, you know, that's what family is, right? So that's why I will always support them no matter what happens to me because they let me develop into the person that I've become. I love that so much. I am, um, I'm nearing the end of my 20s, and sometimes it does feel as though I've given up my 20s to pursue my pursue lifestyle design for the rest of my life. And yeah. I'll have to remind myself that this is – this is, there's no, this is not a short-term game. Like, this is a game that you can bless your family with for generations to come. And it's sometimes hard to portray that to family, right? Because they see the sacrifice. They're like, dude, like, get married. Dude, go do the, go do the normal things that we, you're supposed to have done by this age. My mom wants grandchildren. I'm like, I have so much that I'm working on. And I've seen that you've been able to balance both. So that's been a big inspiration for me as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you have good people around you and it makes things easier. 
And I, I will never forget that. I don't think for one second I have accomplished my, the, whatever life goals I have accomplished is because I've had the right people around me, including the family that I have today. So I'm, I'm very aware of that. That leads us right into our next question. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Oh, man. Uh, I'm just going to put my father there. And again, my father, he was, well, I didn't say it. He was a 30-year principal in the, in the city of Boston, and he retired. And all he, his job as a father was, or both my parents, really, but their job as parents was to give me a foundation. They gave me the foundation. I could have been running around Haiti with no assets, no resources, no clothes, no shoes. They sacrificed, brought me to the States, or had me in the States, I should say, put me in private school. My father, when he saw me starting to mess up in public school, got a second job as a bus monitor just so I could go to private school. Because they got me in a private school, I ended up going to UVA on a, on a college, on a, on a scholar, ROTC scholarship. And obviously, because of the scholarship, you know, then it just opened the doors for everything else. But they always supported no matter what I did and just said, look, you can do whatever it is you want to do as long as you get your education. And then not once did they, well, why are you doing this? Or why are you doing that? Or, you know, they, they would always question the path, but they were like, all right, well, let us know how it goes and whatever. I could always call them when, when things were going tough and they didn't understand it. But I tell you what, now they understand it. Mm. They totally get it now. Mm. They see the benefit. And man, when, you know, my mother, who was the biggest attractor at the beginning of my choices, now completely understands when I say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting on a, a plane this weekend to go to such and such. She's like, OK, baby, well, well what are you going to go see? What, what business venture are you going to go figure out this time? And hearing <laughs> you say that to me now, especially as immigrant parents, is very fulfilling. Um, so it would have to be both of my parents because they were there from the beginning and they saw me as the eight-year-old, the 15-year-old, the 22-year-old, all that type of stuff. I love that so much. Last but not least, Maurice, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? That, the, the big word, the big word, awareness. I don't think that people are aware that they are, they hear it on the internet. They hear it on Facebook and on Instagram and YouTube, but they are not aware how much they are trading their time for money. Mm. If people were aware how life is ticking, it's just going, it's going. They're aware, but I'm telling you, they're not aware to the extent that I think you and I are, or your listeners they just, get in, they just get into that mode. Matter of fact, I just thought about it. Like I'm wearing, uh, let me see if you can see it. I, I took the red pill t-shirt. This comes from called Dreamcatchers, right? My buddy Jerome Myers started the Dreamcatchers group because it's the exact same thing. It's people who took the red pill and said, I'm aware. I, I don't want to go that way. We're not aware. The school system doesn't say, hey, you should go be an entrepreneur. The school system cultivates conformism. Sit in the seat, compete with your peers, do the problems on the blackboard, do your homework, go to bed, come back to school, eat school lunch, drink your milk, and press repeat. No one is cultivating the creativity, at least, at least when I was growing up. I think things are a lot different now. But if people can become more aware, and it's happening now because of podcasts like your podcast and people like Gary Vee and Tim Ferriss and 
uh, Grant Cardone on the real estate front. Like people are starting to recognize that you can free your time with a small amount of passive income that breaks the bonds of what society is telling you to do and you can get out there. And now that people are starting to see it, like I'll sit on this podcast, I'm sure, and I hope you connect people to my Instagram profile. Every time I've done an interview, bar none, 50 people have reached out and said, hey man, can you give me some advice on the following? Because I can't stand doing what I'm doing. And that is exactly why I love doing these podcast interviews because I just want people to be aware that there is a different way of living. There is a different way of negotiating with your family, how life can be. Um, so I, I go back to that word awareness, man. The more we are aware, and I go, one more thing. There's nothing wrong with corporate, nothing. There's nothing wrong with quote unquote standard. What I'm suggesting is being aware of what you're doing because it's supposed to support your life dream and your life goals. If you just do it for the sake of doing it, then you're going to wake up at 68 and say, oh, man, where did where did my life go? Right. So it's just that word awareness. Mm, I love it, Maurice. This has been one for the books. Again, I have to go back <laughs> to this a few times. If any of the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, like you said, get in contact with you. Where can they do some of that? at? Yeah, the best best way to do it uh, by far. I'm using the Instagram platform the most. So just Maurice Philogene is my handle on Instagram. Uh, Maurice Philogene is on uh, LinkedIn as well. And uh, I'm still working on web presence and maybe doing a little bit more like you. So I'm kind of watching what you're doing and learning from from your path. Uh, not because I'm I, I don't I don't want anyone to invest in deals. Don't ask. Don't don't suggest anything. I've, I've created my path. What I'm trying to do now is make, help people become aware of lifestyle design, passive income, generating your own income being part of teams bigger than yourself. So if anybody is interested in talking about those things, I'm happy to do that. And I've started speaking at real estate conferences and stuff. You'll never hear me talk about over a thousand units or over 5,000 units is my goal, never. It will always be passive income so you can go live life the way that you wanna live life and accomplish whatever dreams you have. Um, so yeah, please go ahead and connect with me on Instagram or whatever platform you can find me on. I love it, Maurice. I totally resonate with that last piece of that last message. I think it's more about creating your lifestyle destiny, less about bragging and all these units that you have. Yeah. I really resonate with that. Hey, this has been a phenomenal podcast episode. I cannot wait to get this out to the listeners. Maurice, thank you so much for the value that you provided to my listeners. But more importantly, what you're doing out there in the community, there, there needs to be more people like you. Um, I know that there are a lot of people who are investors and who are making a killing and who are living the ultimate lifestyle design, but not all of them are sharing. Not all of them are getting on the camera. Not all of them are getting in front of a microphone and telling people how they've done it. You see a lot of people who just do it and then they show you the success and they show you what they're able to buy, but they're not teaching and giving back to the community. And that's what you're doing. So I really appreciate you for doing that. I appreciate it, man. And thank you for having this platform and getting people like me on here so we can share the story because there's much more out there and it can be shared. Um, a lot more people should be creating their own destiny. And that has nothing to do with money. That's just making a decision to create the life that you want to create because you just have one. Yeah, I love it. And one, one last shout out. I will shout out my mastermind member, Antonio Cousin. Um, he's the one who put me on you. He was just like, dude, this guy is fire. He's amazing. Get him on your podcast ASAP. And that's what I've done. So shout out to Antonio for finding you and letting me know that there are people like you. And I, and I appreciate what you've done. And we'll talk to you real soon. Awesome, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time.